Welcome to Vision Driven with Resin Architecture, the podcast where we dive deep into the world of architecture, development, and construction. I'm your host, Greg Croft, and my co-host is Jamie Moulton, and we are thrilled to have you join us on this journey of learning, inspiration, and insight. When you talk about real estate, I would always recommend that you go into it with the exit in mind. Advice I'd give somebody that's presenting their case or pitching their, their loan to a bank is just to be really well prepared. Whether you're dreaming of building a space for your business or simply curious about the fascinating world of architecture and development, join us on this exciting adventure as we unlock the secrets to successful projects and empower you to turn your vision into reality. We're excited to be here today with Jesse Buster, who is a landscape architect for Stack Rock Group, a local landscape architecture firm. There he is a vice president, a partner and a project manager, and he's here today to talk with us about landscape architecture. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. I was very humbled to have the invite extended out, so... Thank you for thinking of us. Wonderful. Tell us about your background and how you began designing landscapes. Okay. So um, I originally went to college to be a civil engineer. And although very necessary and exciting in its own ways, I just had a hard time seeing myself being like, you know, very excited about going to work every day. So I took a career assessment test and ended up seeing landscape architecture in the top three, went and spoke with the chair of the department at University of Idaho at the time, Stephen Drown. And um, within a short conversation, I was kind of sold on it. So from there, we, uh, my friends and I who started this firm, we, we met up in the studio courses up there and uh, we graduated right after, like a lot of people were, getting hired on early and stuff like that. We, we graduated right at the, the cusp of the downturn of the economy. So we did just a a fair amount of work that we could, you know, a little bit of residential design here and there, but there wasn't a lot going on. So just kind of out of survival, um, my friend, Will, who is the founder of the company got together and just said, you know, no one's hiring. We got to make it happen. So we start out of his extra bedroom and he had, you know, 14 years of landscape construction behind him. And a couple of us had also similar experience, you know, a little bit here and there, but just a passion for design and we wanted to make it happen. So since then, it's just, we just put our heads down and started an extra bedroom. And now we're on our fourth office. We're based out of Boise, um, but we have four satellite offices too. So, um, so a lot of people might not know what a landscape architect does and what their role is within um, a, a building or a normal facility. Can you kind of give us the, the 30,000 foot view on that? Yeah. So landscape architecture by just a, a loose definition is just kind of design and planning, maintenance and management of the built system. And so integrating buildings and other facilities and infrastructure that you need, um, onto a site. So the quick thought is we, we get, easily tossed into the category of a gardener. And that's where people get really excited. Like, oh, I need you to come practice on my yard and stuff. But um, there's so many scales to it. So everything from the smallest backyard all the way up to uh, campus planning. So landscape architects are commonly involved with like site design. So if, you, if you're if you looking at a site and you're doing the due diligence there, 
we can assist with that. We've helped with uh, campus planning. And then just given that we're, you know, very versed in built ecological systems, uh, we do a lot of sustainability projects. So anything that has to do with uh, water, plants, flora, fauna, um, a lot of things that kind of cross over. But yeah, so landscape architecture is design and planning um, of the built environment and natural systems as well. So. Can you go over some of the reasons a commercial project needs green space? Certainly. Um, the majority of places when someone is going to start a project, there's going to be a requirement by whatever jurisdiction is reviewing that, that they need to have green space. And the reason for that is for water, um, for aesthetics, to help with the heat island effect, which is ultimately the sun shines and reflects off pavement and other hard surfaces and creates kind of a hotter climate. And so we use trees and plants to offset that. Um, but a lot of that reason comes down to uh, curb appeal and how to really enhance the building or the site around there. And a lot of places uh, like to integrate spaces where people can gather and circulate outside. And so those are some things that we look at as well. So. Um, how does green space benefit the commercial space? How, how does it benefit the owner? Certainly. Um, so green space helps the owner by ultimately checking a box on the application because a lot of jurisdictions will require it. But among the higher priorities is that it will help with curb appeal. Um, so it looks good from the street, which adds to the community, the, you know, the fabric around also with the user experience as you enter, you know, if you can set a tone and an experience as you're approaching a building and it helps the experience within as well. Um, there's a lot of studies on how it helps worker psyches, um, psychological aspects and stuff like that. But there are other environmental aspects where we're dealing with water um, drainage. We're integrating plants that help, you know, the flora and fauna around. And then trees can also help with shade and help keep the climate cooler and a little more tolerable, especially in this desert climate. So. Architects are careful about space planning. Um, what types of uses do landscape architects plan for? What types of uses? uses. Um, so yeah, that's something that also excites us. Generally, we like to leave the buildings to the architects because that's their lane and we like to stay in ours, but um, we can help with the fabric of the site altogether if, if we are given the footprints, but generally we're looking at circulation where people are gathering and then some of the other site needs. So when a civil engineer says, I have this much drainage I need to deal with, then if we're doing storm ponds or something like that, um, rather than just digging a square hole in the ground to divert the water and let it sit there, um, we like to get creative in that and make it a little bit more naturalistic and tie it into the site and make it a lot more aesthetic. So, um, so space is generally where what people are looking at, where they are spending time or where they're passing through. So in some. What are, um, so you guys do more, a lot more than just plantings, right? Like that's the thing that I think I used to think of is, oh, well, what plants do we need? Let's grab a landscape architect. They'll tell me some scientific names and and they'll throw that on a sheet that looks really pretty because your guys' drawings actually are really pretty. Um, 
And so like, but I know that you guys are doing more than that. So you're creating the paths. What other elements are you guys putting into a, into a site plan? Okay. Um, anything from site design and planning. So if you have a certain square footage of a building, um, code's going to help dictate what parking facility you need to provide, how much and stuff. So sometimes we help there. Generally we'll lean on the architect, you know, because that's more of your expertise, um, laying that stuff out as far as circulation. So pathways, um, but we can get really in the meat and potatoes, everything from conceptual and very detailed site design um, from the beginning all the way through construction documents, but also get as far into helping out with layout plans so that um, if we're not using a survey to actually stake points, we can help with that. Um, grading and drainage, we help with often enough. A lot of times we'll, we'll lean on the civil to take on that, but we will help facilitate the the look and the aesthetic and the function of those a lot of times. Um, hardscapes and other built elements that are outside of the building. One thing that's important to landscape architects is that the building just didn't get plopped onto a site. We like to pull that building out into the site and create an experience. So if there are materials and we can start integrating uh, elements such as like accent walls or pergolas and really pull that out and create this experience, um, so a lot of those elements, um, hardscape planting, irrigation is another big one, especially in a climate like we're in. But honestly, even places where they get a lot of rain, irrigation is, is critical because um, depending on what's provided, if they're tapping into potable water, they want to manage that properly. And so looking at efficient irrigation design um, and then we get a little bit into lighting, a, a lot of people do, and then we can get pretty heavy into other utilities that typically civil will take on. Um, some landscape architecture firms do get really civil heavy under the scope of landscape architecture. Uh, we like working with civil, so we try to stay away from that stuff. And, um, yeah, just a couple other things as far we can help with furnishings and, and, uh, kind of those areas where, we would work with you guys on what you're selecting inside and what accommodates and, and blends well uh, inside to out. So, What are some of the aspects of landscape design that a business owner should consider when they uh, start working with the landscape architect? Okay. Um, so again, site design's always something where we can contribute in one way or another. And a lot of that is just from project to project, there's always a, a unique set of circumstances or constraints that we got to work through. So help them, them avoid problems that are easily easy to avoid um, on site constraints. You know, again, drainage could be a big thing, but really what are they trying to accomplish? Like what type of facility or building are they providing? Um, we want to complement that. So we want it to look good, but we want it to be a place that feels good too. So really start thinking about what, it, what does it look like from afar as you approach it, as you spend time there. Um, and then again, if we want to get a little bit further into um, site lighting or other elements like that, that really just help it stand out. Because I think, I think the, the goal is to create a, a great space that goes along with the building. So make a statement. One thing I wish that uh, business owners would consider is maintenance. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, you can't, I don't think there is 
anything <laughs> natural or man-made that doesn't require some maintenance mm -hmm. and how much they want to put in there. And you also mentioned approaching the site and the views, what you want to screen, but also what you want to draw attention to. You can use landscape for that, both of those purposes, right? Yeah, great points that you brought up that I uh, skipped over, but that's critical, like what's in the site and what also what's outside of the site. So. On um, on the commercial jobs that you do, so like a typical office or something like that, what are some of the favorite things that you guys have integrated into your design work? Into our design? Um, or that our, you like to integrate in? Yeah. Maybe it's something that you're throwing in on everyone that you can. I don't know. Yeah. So within gathering spaces, what kind of amenities are we providing? Um, does this particular office, are people, you know, are they going more for more of that lifestyle approach? So are we integrating outdoor kitchens and, and pergolas, places where people are really excited to go and then they can have their break, go outside and cook? Um, but things like art pieces even, you know, we've we've had the opportunity to get super creative on even art. Um, like you know, from a sculpture, sculpture standpoint, I would imagine? Yeah, we've helped with conceptual design, but also um, an example would be on a roof deck on, in a hotel in Boise. We helped just design the art piece that had um, different metal and tile and um this product called three form you're probably familiar with it's it's a it's a resin product but um and so we did we did some art pieces there that had lighting and water so so they're bespoke pieces that were created just for that project yeah so That's we exciting. we took it all through the design process which you know for us typically starts out with kind of pen and marker and have fun with it and then um get into more of a a drafting and a 3d modeling look so that whoever is um, putting this into their space, they know what it looks like and uh, can actually justify, you know, <laughs> investing in something like this um, in that design. And then we also helped uh, largely on the kind of the construction side of stuff. So with our background, it, it helps a lot of times. That's often a bridge that is missing. Um, but it was just a really cool opportunity, you know, and so art pieces and things like that. So Yeah, that's a fun thing to think about when you're designing a landscape, that art is part of that. Again, I think a lot of people do think of plantings and not something as exciting as uh, art or as necessary as irrigation and drainage. Yeah. What problems can arise in green spaces? And you alluded to some of those earlier, and how do you recommend avoiding those? Um, well, one of the larger problems is, you know, maintenance and management, like you had highlighted. It's, it's unfortunate to see some places that had really thoughtful design and maintenance didn't occur afterwards. And so it just got, gets overtaken again. So that's always something to really consider, um, especially when you're approaching the project is, you know, do you have someone that's going to be taking care of it? You know, we, we generally don't like to burden with more labor. Um, you know, lawn's a good example there where if we can reduce the amount of mowed lawn, um, and that doesn't mean we have to get away from lawn, but we, we can look more at like a meadow grass or something like that that only has to get touched it a few times a year. But um, I think the problems generally come from whatever constraints we're working with. Um, budgetary, that always plays in. We try to be very sensitive to those kind of things because... Um, you know, the building is the place where people are spending time and that's what makes the money. We're, we're here to accommodate 
the look and, and the function of it. Um, but on the other side of it, you know, there's going to be constraints. Um, we'll, we'll talk about noise of a highway or, uh, visual blights of neighbors or, you know, like positive views too. um, site grading always has its challenges. And so what's a, what's a good way to deal with, uh, changes in topography with that comes again, drainage kind of seems to be the theme of the talk, but, um, ways to work around those. So we were talking, uh, during our every week resin does an office critique where we come together with all of our staff and we all put eyes on a couple of the projects that we're working on so that we can brainstorm and get everybody's ideas about better ways to do things or problems that they we might want to fix before we get too far into design. We were talking about using plants to decrease noise and you had just brought that up. Is What's the threshold for being able to have a reduction in noise with plants? Mm-hmm. I had actually heard it was something like 50 feet. Is it 50 feet of foliage? It depends on what you're, what sound you're trying to obey or attenuate. Um, you know, if it's a highway, you're better off with a wall or something like that. And then the, the plants will, I don't have any actual figures for that, but common practices would be to integrate a wall or a, a solid fence plus plants that will help soften it. And also, you know, aesthetically soften it. Um, we use berming and you can still use a combination of those elements there, but uh, definitely something, you know, especially if you have like a residential project that's coming in for whatever zoning allowance (laughs) that you had that you can have where people are living next to some sort of industrial site, there's going to be noise and stuff from that. And so do what we can. It's, it's never a perfect solution, but you're just trying to mitigate it as much as possible. You talked about berming. Do you want to define that for us? Yeah. So a berm is just a change, you know, like a, a, a mound that would continue along at, let's say a street or a perimeter of a property, but basically you're just piling up dirt and um, you see them everywhere, but they, they help, you know, visually they can help define the site. They can help with the views like we're talking about also with sound. Um, and also with that drainage, right? <laughs> yeah, they, they, they can. Yeah, they can. There are ways that you can use them in that, but. So, so technically, um, Idaho, or at least where we live in Idaho is considered a desert. So what principles do you use to, uh, deal with like what water wise principles are you using? What we have. Okay. Um, so Zurich landscape is something that's, it's getting well, more well known and it. It's ultimately water wise planting. So you're looking heavy into, native plants, but also adaptive, adaptive plants that don't need high watering needs. So when we look at our plant palette, which is just, you know, the arrangement of plants or the selection of plantings that we're putting in, we're always kind of checking on, on those figures. Unfortunately, where we're at in a dry land, arid ecosystem, ecology, it, not everything's super aesthetic in the way that you want it in your yard or next to your commercial building. There are times when it's, it works. So that's why a lot of times we'll have to lean on more of an adaptive plant palette. Um, you know, plants that aren't necessarily native to here, but do well. So Zarek is leaning on those plants that are, you know, we only use irrigation for a little bit to get them established. And then some, a lot of times those systems are temporary and, you know, 
generally it's about three years for most plants to get established and you know they're going to do well um, to go from there. On the watering side of things, we push heavy on uh, on irrigation and, and what that means. And so lawn obviously is something that a lot of people like because you can use it. It provides a nice clean look, but the downside of it, there's maintenance, but a lot of water too. In terms of irrigation, we generally have, you know, like a, a standard coverage. But again, if we can encourage people to use lawn where you're or integrate lawn where you're actually using it. Let's say if you have a campus, let's just keep it where the sports fields are and, and some of like the entry approaches, then all these other areas, you can do more of a, a dry land seed mix or something like that. That's when mix in native wildflowers. And the benefit there is um, you're gonna reduce maintenance, water. Um, and a really cool example that we had, we did a sustainability project with HP in Boise was the, the pilot one we did with them. And that was the purpose of the project was to help them reduce those costs, but also create a better space and their ROI on that. So the return on investment was 18 months versus the three years that we projected. But the really cool aspect of that is the biodiversity there. Uh, just exploded and they have beekeepers on site and that next summer their their honey production tripled and so just the fact that they're not spraying they're not cutting all this down like we you know so yeah that's really exciting uh, uh let's see you talked about the the establishment period for native plants uh for some of the more adaptive plants that you're using. Um, I know that there are irrigation practices that help limit. It's not, I mean, there's all kinds of irrigation from flood irrigation, which is very water intensive to um, other options. Can you talk a little bit about some of the smaller office spaces and the different irrigation systems they might be using to limit water? Yeah, definitely. So um, flood irrigation, that's, typically more agricultural and so we wouldn't necessarily be able right. to Definitely get that not. type of approval but that's, <laughs> it's a good point to bring up just so that people are aware because that's actually something that we've been asked like can we can we do this and the answer is no because you know it's state mandated um so they do want a a built-in underground irrigation system so for lawn you typically have pop-up sprays but in the in the planter beds where we're doing these xeric and native plantings um you can have a point source where you're running, you know, a, a drip line in there and then a little spaghetti string that provides the water straight to it. We generally learn, lean more towards um, what's called Netafim, and it's just a porous pipe that you just go and run a grid and then it just evenly disperses the, the watering and um, have a lot more success there because a lot of times you don't know if you have a problem with the irrigation until the plants are struggling. So if you can get a little more even distribution, but the benefit of that is that you're not you're not spraying a bunch of water over large distances like you would in lawn. Um, it's a lot more controlled. It's actually underneath the mulch and stuff like that. So then you're not losing it to what's called evapotranspiration. Basically, when the sun's out and if you're you're watering, then you're not losing water to uh, evaporation. And um, yeah, it just helps reduce and you can control it as well. So a lot of municipalities, a lot of jurisdictions are looking for something like that, especially if they're being uh, hypersensitive to how much water you're using. With the Netafim, um, as you mentioned, it's a drip pipe that has holes. Uh, it's, it's like a water hose, but 
instead of just having a hole at the end with a lot of water coming out, it has holes all along six, eight, 10 inches. It varies where the water drips out. Um, so we have hard water here. How do you keep it from uh, developing deposits that plug those holes? Mm. How do you keep the, like, keep it from calcifying and stuff like that? Um, there are different valves and stuff that we use to, to kind of help mitigate that. Um, is it like a filtering system? Yeah, then? yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry. So there, there'll be like a flush valve, which is, we'll have a, at the end of the pipe, you can kind of help clean and run it and stuff like that. But, um, you know, sometimes people will amend it, but there's not a lot that you can do with that. So it's just kind of, kind of watching. It's not as bad as like your, like maybe your shower head gets where it'll build up and stuff, but it's, it's still a factor. And yeah, I mean, it's something that we have to deal with, but yeah. And you mentioned a grid too. Uh, do you run this drip in a, a literal grid, like, <clears throat> or is it more like a winding back and forth? Yeah, snake? more like more like that. So we would just kind of run it back and forth, like a kind of a somewhat of a zigzag, I guess, but just so that it's even and stuff. Yeah. So, but if you were doing point source, you would just need to run that lateral line to each plant just close enough, and then pull the spaghetti string over there. So. Yeah. There is just a trade-off in in uh, what material and your approach that you're doing it, but so far the like the Netafim uh, provides more even distribution, therefore it's a lot more successful for plantings and stuff. But I know some people like the emitters on the spaghetti string because it um, decreases the weeds that's brought up because it's just water just to that one plant that you want. Yeah, I guess continuing to talk about plants for just a moment, so. We chose to live in Idaho and we have long winters or maybe people would say that we have short summers. Um, <laughs> the, so I guess like with all of the off season in terms of like plantings, like how do you, how do you work with that? What are you, what are you doing to try to still make a, an awesome environment in the, I guess the shoulder seasons provide a little more seasonal interest yeah. and stuff. So um, on the built things, I mean, it comes down to some of the features that we talked about before, whether they're walls or you can integrate boulders, you know, something just with interest, but in planting design, I'm sure it's very similar with buildings that you're thinking about, you know, form, color, texture, size, all those, all those principles you have to think through. Um, and in our area and a lot of others, you've got deciduous versus evergreen so does the plant keep its foliage or its needles or not um yeah there's a a tree called the western larch the tamarack that does actually lose its needles which is pretty cool if you're not aware but um we're used to you know fall cleanup with leaves and um very few trees that grow in idaho keep keep their leaves all year um so we lean heavy on cool form and other colors. So there are like dogwoods that have red twigs provide a really nice contrast against the snow or against, uh, building textures and colors. Um, there's plants like a contorted filbert that just has crazy branching structure and staghorn sumacs that have little, uh, I forget what they're even called, but they, they're just this little thing that goes up little spike looking thing. So plants that have, um, cool form without overdoing it, you know, not going and picking out every cool plant from the nursery and throwing it in so that nothing stands out or you just, you just feel like you're in Dr. Seuss land. But, um, 
and then lean on what evergreen plants that we have here. So um, a lot of times those are conifers, but we do have some plants that have leaves that will keep that. So just kind of a mixture there. So One thing I love that I've seen around town uh, are the grasses, ornamental grasses. I think Idaho is pretty good about using grasses in innovative ways, and they will often keep their seed heads over the winter, and then you get a little bit of the flowing form and movement yep. in grasses too. So those are something that we would consider winter winter interest, and we try to encourage the maintenance crew to leave those till the spring because you got to cut them down anyways. If they're if they're a perennial, a lot of those you'll see are annuals, so they have to be replaced every year, but the perennial ones have to be cut down and allow the new growth to come in. So if you can get someone to leave that throughout the winter, even if it's yellow and brownish, it still looks, it still has its aesthetic appeal. Um, but like you're saying, like the seed heads can be really cool. And yeah. I think of it as golden. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, how do we design spaces, uh, landscape spaces that get used year round? Um, we are designing a project right now that has a rooftop garden. Um, how do you make that successful or what other spaces do you use? Uh, some of the resorts I've noticed have heated sidewalks. Um, what kind of tricks are you pulling so that you can use the landscape more for more of the year? Yeah. So definitely what you're leaning into is what is the climate of the area? So we're used to, and like some of the projects in Montana that we have, we're, we have very short summer and very short shoulder seasons where it's usable. Are we encouraging people to get out there in the frigid air? Um, so we lean on, you know, heaters and stuff like that. But how do you encourage people to go use it, use a space outside? Um, you have to provide that comfort. And then if you consider all the, the design aspects, um, you know, something called prospect refuge where people like to have, a feeling of shelter and protection and look out across. So think about yourself standing under a tree, looking across the meadow um, or, you know, versus someone that's walking across the field or something, they feel a little vulnerable. So you'll use elements or the building to, to create those spaces where they feel good um, access, you know, proximity of things. If you're doing a hotel and you're providing hot tubs um, and it's, cold and icy outside you don't want to make them walk too far you know so just being thoughtful on those things um and just being practical too you know like in other parts of this state it stays warmer longer and so we can lean on the weather but i i would say weather's largely the biggest constraint but so awesome uh so hypothetically speaking if we were doing a project that we wanted to integrate like a um, uh, green wall or other like actual live foliage, uh, indoor, mm -hmm. would you guys be the ones that we talk to indoor? Yeah. If yeah. it was indoor. So, and what does that process look like? And like, are there recommendations? I know that there's benefits to having plants inside. Our office has a lot of plants inside. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I've heard of the benefits, but yeah, sell me on it. Yeah, so there's definitely a, a health aspect in the psychology of someone. If there's plants or if there's some aspect of nature, studies will prove that like people just feel better and their quality of life is better there. Um, one example that we did is actually it's called the Boise Cascade Building in, in Boise, and it's an interesting building. So you walk up to it, and it's just got these 
pillars and this giant column in the middle and then this huge patio that has stairs wrapped away all the way around it. But the way that it's built is that first floor, as you go up those steps, it's all glassed in. And so when they were redoing the inside of that, where it's more of just a, a lounge waiting area and a coffee shop, just huge indoor space, they actually approached us about helping design indoor gardens for it. And so that helps us. I mean, cause we work all over the nation. So we're familiar with a variety of plants that don't do well here, but to be able to think about if someone's spending time inside and we're bringing outside in, what does that mean? And we actually got to create some planters like ground level planters versus pots. Um, you know, cause you can go to a nursery or somewhere where they provide plants and they'll give you the parameters that you need to consider with the plant itself, how much sun, how much water, but when it's going a little bit further, like a green wall or something unique and eclectic that you're doing, um, there's a lot more to it. So to answer your question, yes, we 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 love to help on that kind of stuff. It's doable. Um, it just takes a little more research on uh, what the site is offering itself in terms of sun aspect. How much space do we have? And uh, you know what kind of temperature control and how are we getting water and stuff to there so that we're not leaning on people to pour those. Um, but green walls, there's a lot of different types there. Generally, we're looking at vines or um, something that can be grafted up there. And there's a variety of those systems, you know, however big you want to go. You've seen them, you know, up a multi-story building or as small as just a railing. So a lot of different ways to go around it. So it's it would just generally be, uh, you know, site specific and project specific, but. As a landscape architect, when would you like to be brought in on a project? Are there advantages to having you join the team, the design team early in the process? The encouragement is it's easier to pull stuff out than it is to add it in. So it's generally better in terms of like an interdisciplinary approach. If we can come in early, you know, let's say a client approaches you, here's their building idea here's the site and they've got a couple of things that they've thought through. Um, so when you're running through site design and stuff like that, it's really beneficial to the client and to the project and, and the flow of um, collaboration for us to come in early, just to kind of hash out some of, some of those ideas. Um, and then that way we can, we can help them again, like avoid problems that could be easily avoided and talk about different opportunities that maybe they hadn't thought of you know, if it's whatever amenity or space that they're creating, but uh, to answer specifically earlier, the better, and then we can hold back or we can get really involved and then just kind of plug in when it's more time to kind of stay in our lane and uh, fill that role in the process. So, so we ask our, all of our guests, this last question, um, what's the one piece of advice you'd give somebody that's looking to build a commercial space? What's one piece of advice that you would tell someone wanting to build a commercial space? Um, I think what impact are they wanting to leave? You know, I think a lot of people, especially if it's, if this is their first time or maybe the only time they're doing it, it's going to matter a great deal to them. So what kind of impact do they want it be? Do they want this to be kind of part of their legacy or is this just a, a means to, you know, perhaps making um, money or whatever it becomes. And so really cast the, cast the vision, dream big, and then let us, let us all help all disciplinaries kind of jump in and 
see what we can do to make that happen. So probably just don't be scared to dream and, um, you know, we can help keep it practical, but make it great too. So, but go for it and let it be something special uh, as a part of the fabric of the community. So. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for coming and speaking with us about landscape architecture. If somebody wants to reach out to you or Stack Rock Group, how would you recommend they do that? Um, we have our website, which is stackrockgroup.com. Um, we have social media, Instagram, Facebook, we're, we're all over on those platforms. Um, my personal email is jesse, J-E-S-S-E at stackrockgroup.com. So very long, <laughs> really need to integrate an acronym for that, but it's, you know, S-T-A-C-K-R-O-C-K-G-R-O-U-P. And then, um, the digital mediums will provide phone numbers and stuff like that, but, or, reach out to you and we'll, <laughs> we'll, put you we'll in touch. always happily take a referral. So <laughs> great. Well, thank you again. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to vision driven on your favorite podcast platform. So you never miss an episode and don't forget to leave us a review. Your feedback helps us grow and improve our content. And it also helps others discover the podcast. Remember at resin architecture, we are dedicated to teaching and learning and are committed to helping business owners like you navigate the exciting journey of building. Stay tuned for more episodes where we'll continue to bring you engaging conversations, expert insights, and actionable advice to fuel your real estate aspirations.